I want you to take your Bibles. If you've got them, turn with me to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. I am glad you're here today. Matthew chapter six. All right. We started a few weeks ago talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, which is the major theme of Jesus preaching. The first thing Jesus ever opened his mouth when he came on the earth, the Bible said he began to preach and he said, repent, change your attitude because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he talked about something called the kingdom of God. And he said, it's available. And at hand means won't you reach out and take it? You can, you can have it. It's here for you. Now, let me define it again. The kingdom of God is not church activity. It's not religious activity. It's not people doing things as good as that is. The kingdom of God is God working in the earth by his spirit. It's God doing good things in the earth by his spirit. And you can look back after a period of time and say, that had to have been him right there. We couldn't have done that. That was him. The kingdom of God is God doing things for people in the earth. It's the activity of the spirit of God in the earth, working in people's lives, doing good things. We've talked a week or two ago about what it is, how that he works in our families. He works in our own hearts. Uh, he provides, protects, all those things. He wants to be good to his people. What a father is to his children, he wants to be good to his people. I often pray over you and I pray 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the great promise where he said, I will be a father to them and they will be my sons and daughters. What a good father is to his children is what he wants to be to you in this earth. I pray that over you all the time. Now, we looked at that. We looked last week how that the kingdom comes through prayer. What actually causes him to do things is our prayer. And I want us to review again, Matthew chapter six, verse six, which says this, when you pray, go into your closet, close your door, talk to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you publicly. And he said, I want you to meet me in a secret place. I want you to come talk to me privately. And you don't have to literally go in a closet. It just means get alone somewhere. He said, I want you to come see me privately. I want you to talk to me. And if you will come and talk to me privately, I will do things for you publicly and people will see it. I will reward you public. People will know, look what God's doing for those people. Only God could have done that. And where does it all come from? Being a great person, meeting him in private. He said, you got to meet me in private. And then he said this, in case you don't know how to do it, he said in verse nine, well, when you do pray, pray like this. And we don't necessarily need to repeat that prayer. It's a pattern. It's a pattern for prayer that we follow. And the amazing thing about that tiny little prayer is every need of your life is met in that prayer somewhere. Only God could have put a prayer that short and put every need of every human in there. And it covers everything you'll ever need. And he said, talk to me like this. I ask me to let my kingdom come in your life. Well, is anybody here would like to have some joy and peace in their lives? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's not eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace and joy and the Holy Spirit's God working in your life. And he said, ask me to do that. He said, ask me to do that in your family. Ask me to bring peace in your home. Ask me to bless your family. Ask me to do things for you. Ask me to give you money. Give us this day our daily bread. You surely you don't think it's just bread. Just there's meat in there. Ask, ask me to bless you financially. Right there it is. And he asked, said, ask me to do these things for you. All right, today we're going to look at one aspect of it. It's in verse 13, I think. Yes, verse 13, where he said this in, in Matthew 6, 13, he said this. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What did God tell you to do right there? 
ask me to deliver you from the evil one. Let me ask you a question. If there's not a real active evil one working in the earth to destroy people's lives and families, why would God ask me to be protected from it? Why would he ask me to ask him to deliver us? And maybe you can tell by that what he said right there. And maybe you can tell you need to be delivered from the evil one. If he wasn't there, why would I need to be delivered from him? Let me go a little further here. If I could handle it myself, why would I need to ask him? There's a reason he told us to ask this. And so we're going to talk today about divine deliverance, divine protection. And uh, listen to me, youngins. If ever there was a prayer we need to be praying in this day, it is this one right here. I am watching the enemy destroy believing families, destroy people's lives, steal their children, steal their sanity. He is the thief of joy. Somewhere we got to have a divine defense against what is going on in the earth today. And this is the passage we're going to talk about. This is what he told us to pray for today. I want you to look with me at the great passage on divine deliverance. It's in Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read Exodus chapter 17. So you turn with me, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 17. I'm watching people today get hurt and suffer and they don't even know what's going on. I mean, we're just clueless. Our nation is clueless as to what is happening in the earth right now. But Exodus chapter 17 is the passage that this was life changing for me 25 years ago. The great passage about how we pray and God works in an invisible place to do things for us. Exodus 17, you got it? Let's begin in verse eight. Exodus 17, eight says this. Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. You, you probably got that verse on your refrigerator. I know it's one of the encouraging ones. The children of Israel are the people of God, the nation Israel. They're traveling. They'd just been released from slavery. They were slaves to the, to the nation of Egypt for 400 years. A man named Moses broke them free. God used him, brought them through the Red Sea. They're traveling to a place that he's prepared for them called the promised land, minding their own manners. And all of a sudden they are attacked by a very hostile army. And it was from Amalek, the Amalekites. And they're attacked by this army as they traveled. All right, verse nine. Moses said to Joshua, you choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek or the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Joshua did what Moses told him to and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of a hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand, Israel won. But when he put his hand down, Amalek defeated his people. Moses' hands became heavy. He became tired. So they took a stone and put it under him. He sat down on it. Aaron and Hur grabbed one hand on each side and held him up. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek. This doesn't just mean Joshua. The whole army of Israel crushed the whole Amalekite army. So because his hands were in the air with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And maybe you'd like to have God make it in a place where the junk that's been bothering you, you don't even remember it anymore. Wouldn't that be good for him to move that away? One more verse. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called its name, God whoops them for me. That's just a Southern translation, Southern Alamance translation. There are eight Hebrew names for God in the Bible. That's one of them. It is Jehovah Nissi. And he said, build an altar and call that altar Jehovah Nissi, which means Jehovah God fights for me. 
He battles for me. And of course, obviously he battled for them in this thing. Now listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. This is a great story, but if we got dressed up to come here history this morning, we've wasted our time. You need to always, when you read something in the Bible, always plan on God speaking to you personally about it. And say, now I've read this story, for instance, like the parable of the Good Samaritan or whatever. The Bible is God speaking to you. And you need to always say, I'm happy for them, congratulations. But what are you saying to me about my life through this thing? God will speak to you through the Bible about your particular life and things in your life. And this is one of the great passages where he talks to you and I about divine protection, about our families, our heads. I'm even know our heads need protecting. I'm talking about our minds. I'm even know our careers need protecting. And this is where he talks to us about it. All right, let's learn something here. Number one, Amalek cometh. How many of you got that on your refrigerator? Amalek cometh. Let me say it another way. The battle is coming to your house. It's coming to your house. Let me point something out about these people. They got attacked. They got in trouble. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing exactly what God told them to do. They were exactly where he told them to be. These were good people. They did nothing wrong and they still got in trouble. Let me make an announcement. Sometimes I do dumb things that get me in trouble. Thank you. Most of the trouble I have in my life is not because I did something dumb now. It's because there is an unholy enemy out there who hates Jesus, hates people that love Jesus, and is hell-bent on destroying what God is doing in the earth. And you notice the battle cometh, and it came to them. And you and I, in our land, we still, even as believers, we... You can quote the verse, but we still don't have it down pat yet. Let, let me quote it again. This is our hinge verse here for this passage. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me just give you this part of it. The thief cometh and he comes to destroy. We don't get it in our nation right now. We don't understand what's going on in the nation. Believers don't understand what's going on in their lives. I'm going to say it one more time and I've prayed that the Lord will help you to see it this time. Our battle is not with people. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. I'm quoting Ephesians 6, 10. We do not wrestle with people, flesh and blood. Listen to me. You don't even wrestle with your own flesh and blood. Those thoughts are not yours. You're not the enemy of yourself. We don't, we're not in a battle with people. What's it going to say? But with principalities and powers of darkness, spirit hosts of wickedness in the atmosphere around us. We have got to get this down. It's not them. It's not me. There is an unholy dark power in this earth tearing it to pieces right now and coming against me and creating grief for me. And this is the enemy that comes through no fault of my own. This, this works in my own personal life. It'll come in your personal life. Why, why would a man, why would a man drink himself to death as I had a friend just do? You say he's thirsty. No, no. Can't, don't you know there are spirits of addiction? Why would a man who's, as, as my friend Charlie Daniels, who left me behind and went to glory last week, as he said, why would a man start looking around when he's already got a good wife? You say, because he's evil. No, there are spirits of lust. Why would a teenager, let me, can I get, can I get out, out in orbit right now? Why would a 15-year-old teenage girl 
love some moron who can't even put his britches on without his mama's help more than she does her daddy who's laid down his life for her. Talk to me. There are spirits of stupidity out there. Can I make a, can I get a witness? God. You just look at the craziness going on. He's there. And you can live a perfect life. He's still coming. They were doing nothing wrong. They were attacked. And we need to understand it's out there. Your family. All right. Number two. Here's what we learned from this number two. You are no match for your opponent by yourself. You are no match for your opponent by yourself. What does verse 11 tell us? When his hands were up, his people were winning. Tell me what happened. Tell me what the second part of verse 11 says. When he put his hands down, what happened? His people started getting crushed by their enemy, which tells me what? The Amalekite army was more powerful than his people. I'm going to make an announcement. You know match for your enemy. I love America, but the American mindset that I am tough enough to do it. Let me watch and see how that goes. The Bible said this, and all who were slain by him were mighty men. And uh, I'm going to make two announcements. Number one, you're not smart enough. I, I'm not, it's terrible coming here to be ugly right off the bat today. You're not smart enough. Let me, let me tell you something. You can't even see him. He's invisible. He's got 6,000 years experience on you. You're not smart enough in your intellect to handle it. Number two, you're not tough enough. I mean, I mean you might be tough, but you're not tough enough. Let, look up here, Doc. You, you can't even get your 14-year-old to listen to you. Say amen. You, we can handle a lot of things and a lot of things we should. But I'm going to tell you something. You are no match for your enemy by yourself. And um, what does history tell us? Recent history, world history, the Bible history, what does it tell us? It's not a, you can be good and do right and be crushed. We are not enough apart from him. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about that 14-year-old. <clears throat> What did the Bible tell you and me in Matthew 6, 6? I learned this as a young man. Thank God I learned this. Uh, you, you need to talk to your kids. You need to discipline them, yada, yada. But you cannot change a teenager's heart. Quit talking to them. Listen to me. Go in your closet, close your door, talk to God and let God talk to them. Amen. Now it'll be a little slower than you'll like, but he's better at it than you are. Let me go. Somebody needed to hear that right there. The spirit really impressed me to say that for somebody. Are you 18 year old? Are you 22? Are you 95 year old? I don't care. <laughs> Girls, let me help you here. My wife is one of the gentlest, spirited, sweet people. We've been married 39 years in a few weeks. I love her dearly. She has never fussed at me. She's never tried to tell me what to do. She's never tried to change me. She's never tried to jerk me around. But she thinks I don't know this. She just go talk to God about me. And then he comes and talks to me. She probably not done. You're no match for your opponent. Number three, your enemy is no match for your creator. Your enemy is no match for your creator. I want you to notice in verse 11, when he went like this right here, all of a sudden, everything in his life turned around. And his enemy got crushed. When his hands were in the air, uh, verse 13 says that he went on and had a total victory. I mean, just completely. Well, listen, dear ones, we don't want to crawl through this earth. We want to finish like they said in verse 13. The enemy was crushed in their lives. I want you to finish well. Verse 15 said, I'm going to build an altar. And I built an altar in my house. And the name of that altar is God fights for me. 
the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi is the actual name of it. Yeah, let me, I need to go a little further here. The Bible says this, greater is he that's in me. Y'all ever heard this? Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Friend, if there's not somebody out there coming after you and your family, why is he talking about he who's in the world then? But the greater one is in me. Now, let me help you. I, I, want, you to, I want you to get a picture of this. I think some people in their minds see this as a great cosmic struggle between the power of God and the power of Satan, and they're duking it out. They are not duking it out. It's not close. All the Father, all the Almighty has to do is just point and go, stop it. It's not close. When Jesus walked on this earth, as when God walked on this earth in the form of Jesus, did you ever see him sweat and grunt and struggle and grit his teeth to deal with the demonic? All they ever did was run from him. All he had to do was speak one word. It, it's not close, dear ones. I promise you, the greater one can crush anything our enemy brings. He's the greater one. All right. Number four, my prayer is what causes him to get involved in our lives. Can you, make the, can you connect the dots? In verse 11, when Moses put his hand up, what happened? God got involved. When he put his hand up, God got involved in the situation. That's, listen, Moses, that's why he said, we're, we're, we're being attacked. So how many of you, let's develop the God-given ability to recognize we are under attack right now. You know, Moses said, yeah, we're being attacked. Yes, there are some things we'll have to do, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go up and start praying. And we need to recognize when something's happening with our children, they're not being dumb. They're under attack. We need to recognize when something's in our head that's crazy. I'm not terrible. I'm under attack. We need to recognize Amalek when it shows up or the enemy when he shows up. And it's my prayers. It's my prayer that causes him to intervene. Now let's ask a hard theological question right here. Let's do this. If he's so good, why don't he just help me? Why do I have to pray for him to get involved? Doesn't he care? Why do I have to ask him? All right, we talked about this last week. And we saw in scripture that he respects our free will and that I have to pray for him to get involved. You remember last week, James 4, James chapter 4, verse 2. You have not because, listen to it. If I don't pray, he won't get involved. I've got to pray for him to get involved in my life. And again, we saw in John chapter 10, where that you do not have to pray for the enemy to come in and wreck your home. Because the Bible said the thief climbs over the wall of your will. You don't have to ask him. I've never had to ask him to mess my head up. I got to pray for the father to come in and straighten it out. But John, again, John chapter 10 said the shepherd knocks on the door and the sheep have to open the door to have him involved in your life. And that's called prayer. It's through prayer that we bring him into our lives and he begins to help us. And, and again, I'm gonna we, we still, I don't think most believers understand our heavenly father is a faith God. Faith is his thing. Now our thing is logic, his thing is faith. But he is always a faith God. That's why he said in Matthew 6, you go in the closet and ask, I will answer. I don't want, I want us to memorize a verse. You need to memorize this verse. And you don't just need to memorize it. You need to believe it and you need to hear it. It's Jeremiah 33, three, and it says this, call me, I will answer you. Now, if you can't trust John, Jeremiah 33, three, 
to help you at your home and in your life and in your office and where you live. How can you trust John 3.16 to save you? They came out of the same book. Same one made the same promise. And you need to hear that. Call on me. I will answer you. Here's what I want. I want this for every one of you. I want you to call on him. I want him to answer you. And I want you to see it, know it. That was him right there. I want you to have the experience of not just, well, I want you to say, there's no way around it. That was him. I'm going to quote the whole thing now. Call on me. I will answer you. And I will show you things that you've never seen before. I want you, I want you to do that. And I want you to say, look what God did for me how he's answered my prayers. So if I have to call, when I pray, it causes him to innovate. Number five, now this is one of the great mysteries of truth. It's one of the great mysteries of the Bible, but you're going to see it in this passage right here. Listen to it. When I stop praying, God stops working. When I stop praying, God stops helping me. Is that not what verse 11 says? The second half of verse 11, when Moses put his hands in the air, Amalek was defeated, Israel prevailed. But what happened when he put his hands down? God stopped working. You say, why is that? I, I don't worry about the why. I just got, I know. I know this now. All right. Uh, by the way, this thing about the hands in the air, you do see that that's praying. That's intercession. And the rod was the authority that you brought before God back then. We don't need a stick now. Why? We've been getting something better than a stick now. If you ask anything in my name, we have the name of Jesus to pray with now, which is the name above everything. So we pray. I don't pray in the name of Brian. Guess what I'd get for that? We pray in the name of Jesus and we go before him. And can you see that when he stopped praying is when God stopped working. Can you see how bound he is by our prayers? Now, listen, he's not my genie. I don't command him, but there's some great mystery we have to understand. If we don't pray, he doesn't act. And this is the great lesson of this passage in Exodus 17. He intervenes for us like that. I'm going to go back to something I said last week again. This is a repeat. Last week again. If knowing this scripture and knowing the Bible the way that I know it and the way that the enemy of your soul knows it, if I were the enemy of your soul, guess what's the one thing I'd go after in your life? What's the one thing I'd want to cause you to do? Stop praying. Because I know this, I can't stop their God. If their God shows up, I'm in trouble. But I know this, I can stop them from praying. And if I stop them from praying, he stops working. And we're not going to go through it again, but busyness, shame, guilt, all the junk. If he can stop me from praying, he can leave my family unprotected and unguarded. So the Bible is pretty clear on that. When I stop praying, he stops working. All right. Number six, yesterday's prayers won't meet today's needs. Yesterday's prayers won't meet today's needs. Can you see how that when he prayed, great things happened, but it didn't carry over to the next day, did it? Now, the scripture doesn't tell us something here. It doesn't tell us whether this battle was three hours, three days, or three months. We don't know how long it was. It could have been a very lengthy battle, as some of them are. But yesterday's victories did not carry over. There had to be a new prayer for that day. And uh, here's what we know about uh, today's needs. When Jesus told me, and he said, go get in that closet and talk to me. And you talk to me in that closet, I'll do something for you publicly. Right, he told us in that prayer what the pattern should be when he said this, give us this day our monthly bread. Do you mind know if that's right? It didn't say monthly. It didn't say weekly, daily. So what does that tell me? I have to pray every day. 
today's needs need today's prayers. And let me tell you where else I learned this from in scripture. One of the first verses I memorized years ago in Mark chapter one, verse 35, Jesus, this was the pattern of Jesus life. I mean, if you're going to follow somebody, it should be Jesus. Okay. Here's the pattern of his life. He rose early in the morning and departed to a quiet place. And there he prayed. Now you think Jesus went and got along so he could confess his sins. Y'all think Jesus had to confess his sins? No, but he connected with his father for that day's needs. And it needs to be a daily deal. Only today's prayers carry the load. All right, number seven. I want you to notice he changed. Do you see a change in there somewhere? Moses is what we call an ambulance prayer for a while. But he shifted gears in there, didn't he? And he became a guardrail prayer, didn't he? Do you notice he only prayed when there was a crisis to start with? When the battle was on, he'd run in there and pray and he'd get better. But what'd you notice in verse 12? He said, you know what? When trouble comes, I'm gonna pray. He changed his mind. He said, rather than wait for trouble to show up, I'm gonna put my hands up and leave them up. I'm gonna beat trouble to the punch. And he became, let me just say, let's, let's vote. How many of you would agree that a guardrail at the top of the mountain is better than an ambulance at the bottom of the mountain? Now, listen to me, listen to me. Thank God for the ambulances at the bottom of the mountain. That's good. But how many of you know any way you cut it, a guardrail has got to be better than an ambulance. In verse 11, he did ambulance praying. Verse 12, he started guardrail praying. And he protected his people. He beat him to the punch on that thing. And he got ahead of the curve. You know what his prayer became? What does it mean? His hands were steady till the sun went down. It means they stayed up there. None of this up, down stuff. When I have a need, he put them up there and he left them up there. How long did his hands stay up? Until his people had won a complete victory. My hands are going to stay up till I fall off this earth until my people win a complete victory. And that's why the Bible said in verse 13, here's the most important verse in the whole word in the whole passage. Verse 13 starts with what? So, what does so mean? His people had a great life because the man prayed. Everything that God did for them was hinged on that man's prayer according to the word so in verse 13, completely. All right, now let me throw this in here. You need to hear this too. Today's defeat is not permanent. If you've been busted, that's not the last word. I want you to notice in this passage, do you see sort of a camelback ride in here? Do you notice there's three places? Watch this with me. To start with, they, they were winning. They were doing great in life. Do you notice where all of a sudden things changed and the enemy started beating them to death and they got crushed? But how'd they finish? Back on top. Can you see that in there? That's just what I'm fixing to say. A lot of people right there, when, when, and you're doing great, things are good, God's blessing you. Everything's great, but something happens and your enemy crushes you or something happens in life. that just knocks you on your rear end and you get out of heart and you get discouraged and something terrible happens. It's it, listen, it's at that low place right there where you make it or break it. And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to give up and say, well, this is the way it is. Or you're going to do like Moses and say, I am not staying down here. I'm going to get my hands back up and I'm getting back up there. Right there is the key place in life at that low point where you, the shame of stupid things you do, the pain of things other people do. Why didn't God, I don't understand all this. I just know this. You can't stay at that low point. You got to make up your mind. My hands are going back in the air and we're, what did it say? We're going to finish good. We're going to finish strong. 
And uh, I really feel impressed to say this to you. I don't care what's happened. Do not stay down there. You can get back up. And this is one of the great messages out of here that uh, today's defeat's not permanent, it's just temporary. You, you got five gospels. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Rocky. I learned a lot from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I learned something from Rocky. What do you learn from Rocky? Get up. Get up and let's go. Man, he's cheering for us. And then last of all, here's what I learned from uh, verse 12. Prayer needs to be a team sport. Prayer needs to be a team sport. He did pretty good by himself in verse 11 and he caused some things to happen. But when did he really help his people? When did he really carry the load? When he had a couple of buddies come alongside him and said, let's do this together. Let's all get in here and let's start praying together. And they didn't have a big crowd. There's just three of them. He said, let's get in here and let's start, let's start praying together. Now I'm going to point something out here. Uh, this was too much for one man. I mean, you can see Moses needed help. It said he got so tired so somebody had to help him. Can I ask you a question? Was Moses a lightweight? Let me tell you something about this man. Not only biblical scholars, many world historians consider this to be the greatest human leader in world history. I can't imagine who it was if it wasn't him. This is one of the greatest, many people said the greatest leader that ever lived. And if it was too much for him and he needed somebody to help him, what's God saying to me right here through this passage? He got him some help in there. And the three of them, when they got together and prayed, it was wonderful. And they formed a little prayer group. And in that little prayer group, they prayed for their people and listen to me, they didn't just get by, they all finished great. Why? Can you not see a great big red arrow pointing down to these three guys praying together? This is the reason they made it. Sure you can. All right, 25 plus years ago, I began to see this in scripture and began to understand it's not how good you are. It's not how good you can preach. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how much money you give. It's prayer. Prayer is what protects your family. Prayer is what causes good things to happen. Prayer is what moves the hand of heaven. And so I began to see this. And then I saw this thing about this group thing. So I, I, got, I picked out three guys in my church. We were all three friends. And I told them, I said, we're all four headed in the same direction. I said, you're going where I want to go. I want to go where y'all are headed. I said, we all love our wives. We want great marriages. We all love our children dearly. I know y'all do. We want our kids to do great. We love our church. We want God to help people. I said, I want y'all to start meeting with me once a week. The four of us are going to get together and meet. And we're going to pray for three things. We're going to meet. We're going to pray for three things. We're going to pray for each other. And I'm going to hold you accountable because I want things to go well in your life. Number two, we're going to pray for each other's families. Because I know that like me, the family is the dearest thing y'all have. And you want your families to do well. And in case you hadn't figured it out, you can pay for your kids to go to school. You can buy your kids nice cars. You can tell your kids what to do. But only God can make it happen. You need his help. Let me, let me quote to you. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We need God's help. And I knew that. And I said, plus, I want, us to, I want our church to be blessed. I was the only preacher in the bunch. The rest of them had jobs. And they were normal. So we all got together and we began to pray. And, and uh, two things happened out of that. We stayed with it. Two things happened. Number one, that became the sweetest time of my week. I loved it. And I'm going to show you why. That became one of the sweetest times of my week. We became the dearest friends. And something else happened. That's been 25 plus years. We have all done great. We've all been blessed. Our marriages are all wonderful. 
all of our children have done well. I mean, God has been good to us. To him be the glory. You'll never convince me it didn't go back to them guys getting together and bowing their heads together like these fellas did and say, help our people, help our people. Now, let me point something out in scripture to you here. One person can pray and make a difference. We saw that in verse 11. But there is, I don't understand this, but there is a principle in the heavenlies that when two or three get together, it doesn't add, it multiplies. Here's the principle in scripture. One shall put a thousand to flight. Two shall put 10,000 to flight. One plus one in the kingdom equals 10. Let me show that to you in scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. There's just a special anointing on two or three people getting together. All right, Matthew chapter 18, where we see this. All right, I want y'all to see this in the Bible. I know you take my word for it, but it's better if you get his word because I'm gonna be gone one day and he's gonna be here forever. Matthew 18, verse 19 says this. Again, I say to you, is this in red? Your words, in, you'll get the red letter. That means Jesus saying this. <clears throat> Again, I say to you, if how many two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven where two or three gather together in my name, I'll be standing right there. All right, what does that tell you right there? You say, brother, why can't I pray by myself? You can, you were told to go into the room by yourself and shut your door. What do you say right here? You get two or three together and pray together and there's something that multiplies in the spirit over that issue. I don't understand it. I just know it works. I don't need to understand everything. I need to believe it. I need to believe that it'll work. So here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I want you to pray and ask God to put some people on your heart. And I want you to get a group of two or three people together. And I want you to say, I want you to meet with me every week. <clears throat> I want us to pray. I want us to pray for each other to do well. I want us to pray that God's hand will be on us. And I want us to pray for each other's families that God will bless. Here's the theological term. Bless the fire out of our families. I don't want to just crawl through life. Did you notice when they prayed, those people were very victorious. And listen, even if it's in a mess, did you not read in there where their prayers turned it around? I want us to pray our families be blessed and we need to pray for our preacher. We need to pray for our church, what the, what the deal is there. I want you to get, a group, get your group like that and uh, meet and begin to pray. Now, all right, here's the ugly in me coming out. You ready? I knew you weren't, but here it is. They said, brother, man, we're, we're, we're busy people. We, we got a lot going on in life. You know what's coming. Do you love your family? end of discussion. I think we need a reprioritizing of our time in the kingdom here. And I want you to get together. And I want you to pray. Now, here's how you do this. Pray, say, Father, put, put on my heart a couple of people that are heading. And it needs to be boys and boys and girls and girls and maybe couples together. Put on my heart somebody that will really be close to me that we can do this with. And don't sit there and wait for him to answer because he don't answer real quick usually with me. But in the next day or two, all of a sudden, over time, somebody will come onto your heart and you call them and you say, would you like to start meeting with me and praying once a week, maybe before work, maybe in an evening or whatever. Say, let's start praying together. And I want you to see happen in your life what happens with them. All right, let me quit by saying one, two, three. Number one, he is able. Y'all really believe that? I mean, if you believe that he is able to turn anything around, protect me, protect my family, bless us, make my kids shine with a good attitude, 
All right, let's go deep. Make your husband act like he's got some sense. <clears throat> Knock it off, girls. I said, you talk to him. How many believe God is able to do great things? That wasn't a hard question. We know that from scripture. Here comes the hard one. How many believe he's willing? See, that's the one we struggle with right there. Everybody says, well, I know what God can do. A lot of good that does. I don't need to know that he can. I need to know that he will for me. I want, you to, I want to give you one of the greatest scriptures. Matthew chapter eight, a leper came to Jesus and he said to him, I want you to listen to what this man said to Jesus. I know you can make me well if you're willing. What'd he say? I know you can, I've seen you do it. I just don't know if you want to or not. <clears throat> I don't know if it's your will or not. You ever, been, you ever struggled with the will of God? Listen to me, quit asking people, open your Bible. Jesus is the will of God. And he reveals his will in this book. And he said to Jesus, he said, I, I know you can. I just don't know if you want to or not. I don't know if it's your will. And the Bible said Jesus looked at him and his heart was tender toward him. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be healed. I want to make an, And you can take that verse for yourself too. God's able to fix your family. God's able to cause you to shine. God's able to cover your head and protect it. And he wants to. He's willing. He says in here he will. Let me leave you two great, the great verse to hold this to. We're talking about the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God comes in your life, it's going to be great. Here's the verse I hold to for this. And I, a lot of times, the Bible said, taking the word of God, praying. A lot of times when I pray, I've got scripture floating around in my head rather than how bad I was last week. That's what it means. Take the word of God, pray. Quit thinking about other stuff. Get your, get your mind on his word. Here's the verse I hold to when I'm praying a lot of times. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. It is your father's good will, good pleasure to give you his kingdom. He wants to. All righty. You know, you know, number three, if he's able and he's willing, what's number three? I've got to go pray somewhere. I've got to go pray somewhere. I don't want it to happen that it's such a tragedy that I get to heaven and crawl in there beaten, broken and bruised, barely got in and get up there. And all of a sudden in a moment, I have perfect insight and realize, son, all you had to do is ask. All you had to do is ask, son. I'd have done what I said I would have done if you'd have just asked. Let me tell you for sure I know one thing. When I do know this. We get to heaven, we have perfect knowledge. You know what's the first thing we're going to realize? I had it right there. I had it right there. Right there it was. I had it. And I want us to get to glory and say, praise God, he did what he said he'd do. All right, I'm fixing to say something here. And I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. Let's pray. Let's pray. Are you with me? Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. What is, what is the highest privilege on this earth, dear Jesus, than to lift our hearts toward heaven and speak to the creator of the universe and know not only that that's our prayer, our prayers don't bother you. Your word said the prayer of the upright is God's delight. Lord Jesus, when my phone rings and I look down, I see one of my three children's name. I don't go, oh crap. I get excited when I see that. I love for them to call me. And you're a perfect, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said crap in church, Lord. You're a perfect father. I thank you that the prayer of the upright is your delight. I want these people to know how much you enjoy them calling on you. Your word is true. You said it delights you when people pray. I want people to know that when they pray, it will move heaven. 
And in Jesus' name, I pray you convert us this morning from ambulance prayers to guardrail prayers. Get up there and get in front of the enemy and, and keep the blessing of God on our lives and our houses. I want to praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you're mighty and powerful. Thank you that you're willing and smiling and you're waiting on us in a closet somewhere, whether it's by ourselves or with two or three more. I bless you and praise you. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.